we're doing a series on how uh, God created the world and how he's recreating the world through Christ. So we've talked about uh, Genesis or the creation story being Israel's origin story, giving them an identity. Here's who you are as a people and here's who God is as your God and this is how it's distinct and different from other people's and other gods you may have heard of, right? Last week, Ben preached about what is creation? Why does it ordered the way it is? Why does it get separated the way it is? And, and Ben proclaimed that it's God creating a temple and so how some gods like Marduk, maybe you've heard of him, or Baal, maybe you've heard of him, uh, lots of dudes. Aphrodite, there's a, there's a female. Uh, maybe you've heard of these gods. They have little places to live in certain locations, but our God, Yahweh, Elohim, he lives in the cosmos. So he creates uh, to build himself a temple. He inhabits and dwells in the cosmos. And then his holy of holies is Garden of Eden, where he meets with us and is with us. So there's this beautiful picture that God creates everything to share his presence and power. Today, friends, today we're talking about how God reveals himself, uh, and we'll be proclaiming the good news that God is not revealed in timeless truths or abstract principles. Sorry from the first person to ever tell you that. God is, does not reveal himself in timeless truths or abstract principles, but in timely places to embodied persons. This is what the incarnation of Jesus is all about. It reveals the God who always does this, always takes on flesh, always lives among us, and revelation is incarnational. The good news today is that you don't have to choose based upon these Genesis accounts. You don't have to choose between believing, let's say, science or faith. You don't have to choose between reality or spirituality but all truth is God's truth. Even if we can't comprehend it all yet. Because we need the Lord's uh, unction. How's that for a word where the kids get to stay in the service? Uh, we need the Lord's uh, spirit indwelled presence and power to hear from him today and respond to him. I pray the Lord be with you. God, we ask for your great mercy to open our eyes and ears, make us responsive and ready to receive your grace and truth by your love, in your spirit, for your sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I was a youth pastor a long time ago in a suburb far, far away. I was a youth pastor, junior high youth pastor. It was a, it was a dispensation of grace in my life. It was something I never could have done until then, and I honestly have never wanted or could do since then. But this brief moment, the clouds parted, God poured out his favor and mercy upon me, and I was completely, thoroughly satisfied and fine with being duct, duct taped to a wall and uh, throwing marshmallows at kids. It, it was a, just a time in my life that is, uh, I'm still receiving therapy for. So there was part of that time was I would, I would have these kids come through junior high, and, you know, junior high faith is very black and white, very sort of, you know, getting all, the, getting all my ducks in a row kind of thing, which is great. You've got to have to, you have to construct a container to hold God in. And because I've stayed in touch with them via Facebook and other things, I've noticed this recurring story with kids that went through my youth group. They, they, they have this faith, or they've acquired the fire, you know, they're like, 
let the listener understand. <laughs> they, they've, gone through, they've gone through the youth ministry, and they get to college, and they're in their freshman psychology class, or their freshman uh, earth sciences class, and they're, and they're stuck. Jordan, Courtney, Emily, Melanie, Patrick. They're stuck. These are, these are people for me. Right? Because they've been taught that, like, this is how, like, you, they've been taught that the Bible is written to give you answers to all your questions. They've been taught that if I have questions about how the world was created, I take my 21st century scientific questions, I go to the scripture, and I find my answers. Right? And then they get to college and they're confronted with different questions, or same questions, but different answers, way different answers, and they're in, a, they're in a faith crisis. What do you do when you've been taught that, like Scripture teaches, that the world is 6,000 years old and God created in seven days? And then you get to college and you're told, no, the world's billions of years old. And humans have been here longer than 6,000 years. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe this happened to you. I was putting my son to bed a few nights ago. <clears throat> my son. <laughs> his, I, sometimes I call him Bruce, but his name is Deacon. And uh, some of the most illuminating conversations happen, like when we're 20 minutes past bedtime, conversations that I want to have at like 2 p.m. that begin happening at 8.20. Um, but Deacon just said to me, uh, Dad, I think I believe in science more than God. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember, but you said it to me. And uh, immediately, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, my son is very uh, analytical, uh, black and white, uh, cause and effect, wants to know the answers to things. Uh, and I think this describes a prevailing modern sensibility. We like things that we can measure, evaluate, analyze, test, right? We like that. I like that. Um, and so then we take sort of that sort of rubric, that sort of framework into Scripture, and we get frustrated, and we feel like we have, we have this choice. We can either turn our brains off and have a vibrant spirituality, or we can do all kinds of weird things like the earth only looks 4 billion years old, but it's really 6,000. You can do these weird things, right? Or we can leave the faith. But today, friends, today, I want to propose that there's a fourth option. <laughs> you don't have to leave the faith. You don't have to shut your brain off and hate, hate on science, as though science is the second coming of the serpent in the garden. <laughs> You don't have to do these weird calculations about, uh, ab about how far away things look in outer space or that the earth used to have ancient cosmology and doesn't anymore or that even though, th even though carbon dating says things are millions of years old, it's actually a lie. But rather, God reveals himself, not in timeless truths or abstract principles. He reveals himself in timely truths. 
to embodied persons. His revelation is always incarnational. It always takes on flesh in a culture. That's who God is. Not just Jesus, but always. He's revealing himself like that. And so the good news today is you don't have to choose between God or science or, or uh, reality or spirituality, but all truth is God's truth. Even if we can't comprehend or fit it all together yet. Let's take a look at this. In Genesis, now I, I forgot that the kids are going to be in the service today, so I have large words I'm going to use and... Just have your parents Google them when you get home. I apologize. But we got to use words like cosmology today, which isn't cosmetology. Sometimes I conflate those things. They're really different. They're super different. Uh, am I right, Alicia? Yeah. You know about cosmetology. Uh, yeah. Um, ben, is that, are, those, are those pictures ready to go? Isaiah, will you put that first picture up? Genesis 6. Listen to Genesis 6 again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. What the Jiminy is going on there? <laughs> Am I right? Well, here's, here's the ancient cause. Okay, so cosmology means uh, the origins of the universe and how things work like uh, galactically. <laughs> That's what cosmology means. So modern people, we think of like the earth is a globe spinning around the sun in the vastness of space. But in the ancient worlds, uh, ancient people, including Israelites, saw the world much differently. We find this all through the Bible. We, we, we heard this in uh, our psalm today. The Psalm 104 that we prayed also uh, had this same cosmology. But uh, the cosmos in the ancient mind was a three-tiered order consisting of three distinct realms stacked on top of each other. There were the skies, the heavens above, or the heavens above, the land surrounded by water, and then the waters below. Like, this looks crazy to us. Like, when I look at that, I think, that's crazy. Right? But that's how they thought of it. The earth was a flat, round disk shaped as a piece of land that was floating on the cosmic waters. You see the, you see the waters there? It says abyss down there. And it was held up or suspended by the columns of the earth, or maybe you've heard the phrase, the pillars of the earth. This is part of the ancient way they saw the land was supported by these pillars that went down into the deep, right? And they, they observed that the sky, too, was this dome shape, and that the sun, moon, and stars were embedded into the dome, and above the sky was more water, which the dome was holding back. But not always. And that's why it rains sometimes. And that's also how the flood happened. If you read the flood account in Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, it talks about how the ground opens up and the waters come up or the, the sky unleashes the water. Right? This, so they notice, like, if you dig, eventually you hit water. This is what happens. You can try this at home, kids. You go home and just dig. <laughs> Especially today, you'll hit water really fast. Right? So they had this notion that water was just underneath everything. So here's, there's going to be, I have four points here to make, y'all, and this is really crucial. The Bible wasn't written to teach us quantum 
mechanics or relative physics. The Bible wasn't written to teach us science, but it uses established understandings to reveal who God is. Revelation's always taking on flesh in a timely way to embodied persons. Can you imagine if God decided to reveal himself to somebody who lived 3,000 years ago and, and, he, and they had this understanding of the world and his thought was, well, first I've got them to understand the theory of relativity. Right? It's just, No. We get in trouble when we ask scriptures to do work they were never intended to do. We also get in trouble when we do this in other things. My dad, bless his heart, um, likes to save money anytime and anywhere he can. One of the ways he does that is he reuses grocery bags as trash bags. Right? Grandpa. Which is fine. Like, we do that too. Uh, we do that in like the bathroom, you know, where you throw like tissues away or Q-tips. We do that in my office where I'm wadding up paper from frustrated writing projects and throwing them in the, the trash or markers that run out because uh, my six-year-old leaves the lids off. I'm not mad about that. And like, you know, a grocery bag can hold those things, but my dad also uses them in the kitchen where you dump like coffee grounds and chicken grease and all kinds of stuff. And if you've ever used a grocery bag for this, you know, they leak all over the place, right? Right. Uh <clears throat> He's asking the grocery bag to do work it was never intended to do, and it doesn't do it very well. It's the same thing. This is known as a sermon illustration. It's the same thing when we ask Genesis to give us answers to modern scientific questions, because it was never intended to do that. The Bible doesn't intend to teach us science, but it uses establishes understandings to reveal who God is. And this is because God is not revealed in timeless truth or abstract principles. He always is revealing himself in incarnational ways, timeliness to embodied persons. So that means there's good news for us today. We don't have to choose between like modern understandings or ancient understandings. We don't choose between science and God or even like, like what's real and then my, what's spiritual. But rather all truth is God's truth even if we can't fit it all together yet. So, Bible is intended to teach us modern science. Two, God accommodates to us. You know what accommodate means? He accommodates. So yesterday I went, I took Deacon, this is another illustration for those of you uh, keeping score. <laughs> yesterday we went to a Notre Dame football game, and it was a lot of fun, uh, but because I'm my uh, dad's son, I don't want to pay for parking when I do that. I want to find the free parking. Well, the free parking is a little farther away from the stadium than the paid parking. So it's about a mile, a little over a mile away from the stadium to park and walk in. But you save 20 bucks and you get a good workout. So I'm, I came out way ahead on that. But, uh, but because my son's legs are like 70% as long as mine, I ever, like, repeatedly had to tell myself, walk slower. I had to accommodate my stride so that my son wouldn't get exhausted and tired or fall behind or have to run, right? I accommodated my walking to my son so that we could walk together. 
God similarly accommodates to us because, because the revelation of God isn't timeless, but timely. It's not abstract, but it's particular. So, so for instance, friends, the Bible doesn't teach that the sun is at the center of the solar system. It actually teaches the earth is because that's what they saw. It doesn't teach that we're in the small corner of the Milky Way galaxy because it would have been incomprehensible to people two, 3,000 years ago. Just couldn't fathom it. Didn't have the categories. Uh, the reading from Galatians 3 that Krista read today, the ancient uh, describes another part of this accommodation. She talks about how the, the, the law, the Old Testament law, was given to the people of Israel as this tutor, as this like custodian. I'm going to take care of you. God gave the law to take care of the Israelites until Jesus could come. Why did he do that? Was he playing with people? Just 500 more years and then I'll bring salvation. <laughs> no. No, ancient Near Eastern people ordered their cultures through law codes. The code of we call them ham. Ancient people, they ordered their culture through law codes. So when God reveals himself to them, he doesn't do it in a rap song. He does it in the law code because that was the language of the day. Are you tracking with me here? So Paul refers to the law as a custodian, holding them, keeping them until Christ came. So this means the law wasn't this timeless, abstract truth that's good for everything in all places. It was a timely, particular revelation for the people of Israel to hold them and prepare them for Christ. But this happens all through Scripture, friends. Not just cosmology. I'm going to keep saying that word until we're not scared of it. And not just like the law, but like also Deb read. Just catch the end of her reading today. Men, male, female created in the image of God. And I've given you all these plants to eat. Even the animals were to eat plants. You notice this? But this morning I had a delicious protein shake with animal protein in it. Right? So there's a diet accommodation that God makes because we've all been all been eating meat, except for you vegans out there. Right? There's a diet accommodation that happens. Divorce is accommodated too. Jesus tells us, yeah, God didn't want you to have divorces, but because you are getting divorces, he allowed it in Moses' law. Polygamy, which is a fancy word to say you married lots of people. David was a man after God's own heart, had multiple wives. Dozen, we can say dozens, and we're not exaggerating. Having a king was an accommodation. God didn't want Israel to have a king. We'll hear about why next week. Because to be created in the image of God meant that you were his regent and authorized person. God already had set up. He was king, and we were created in his image to image his kingship by our own regency. So to say we want a king is to deny God is king and to deny that we have the image of God. No wonder he got cranked up, but he gave him a king. God accommodated to Israel's desire to have a king. I can keep going. Violence, slavery. Jesus in the, in the gospel reading, Ben read today, you have heard it said an eye for an eye, but I say to you, that was an accommodation. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, that was an accommodation. Because the real law is about your heart, not just about whether or not you've went to Sybaris with your neighbor's wife. 
What? I just, yeah. So scripture, let's pull this back. Let's get this back on the rails. Scripture both inhabits the cultural understanding and moves people to new ones. Okay? And we see this with like, things like slavery through Scripture. All kinds of slaves. We're even told in like, you know, Genesis, there's certain descendants of people that are slaves for these reasons. Right? But then we have like, the New Testament where, where Paul is upending kind of the slavery or the chattel of not only like, people who are bought and sold, but also how women were treated. Right? So there's, there's, this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but we're all one in Christ, Krista read. So, and then we see in like the book of Philemon, he's doing work about, you know, you can have the slave, but you're now a Christian, and there really aren't slaves and masters in Christianity. So do me a solid and let, me, let him stay here, is what the book of Philemon's about. God always accommodates, but, he, but when he accommodates, he doesn't endorse it. He's bringing us into his redemptive kingdom through Jesus, okay? So revelation is accommodation, but there's always this drawing forth in Jesus. Number three, okay, so one was Genesis isn't written to teach us quantum mechanics, and, and it's not teaching us how to understand the fossil record. It just isn't. Two, God's always accommodating when he reveals himself. Number three, so then we can bring the questions of what and why to Genesis, which is what we preached on, but we should be cautious about bringing questions of how and when. In, tw- in 2012, uh, Barna, which is a group of people that ask people questions and get paid to do it and create statistics so pastors can use them in sermons. Barna asked, uh, did the survey... Um, of, of, uh, of just the general population. And 72% of Americans believe that churches come across as antagonistic to science. Friends, we've been asking the wrong questions from our creation story. We've been asking us it to tell us how and when, when it was never intended to give us those, that information. One of the scientists who actually mapped uh, the, uh, the genetic code, the DNA code, a guy named Francis Collin, he wrote a book called The Language of God. Uh, this is going to be, we're going to talk about this Tuesday night a little bit. We have a Tuesday night class, by the way, if you want to, where we teach on stuff we can't preach on here. Um, if you're interested in that, uh, come see me after the service and I'll, I'll send you the link for that. But uh, this book, Language of God, this is what Francis Collins says. He says, I do not believe that God who created all who created all the universe and who communes with his people through prayer and spiritual insight would expect us to deny the obvious truths of the natural world that science has revealed to us in order to prove our love to him. What he's saying is, if the earth looks billions of years old and we're using the same faculties and instruments and wisdom and knowledge that we use to cure diseases and send planes. I'm going to New York this week. That same science is going to help me get there safely. All these good things that this science does, like we don't have to deny what this is saying just to prove our fidelity and faith to God. So friends, the good news today is that all truth is God's truth. 
even if we can't fit it all together yet. And there's some questions about how to fit it together. If the earth is billions of years old, if humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, if we still haven't found where the Garden of Eden is, all the Garden of Eden hunters, that's a Discovery Channel uh, reality show idea for some of you ambitious folks. How does it all fit together? Well, number four, friends, and I'll end with this. <clears throat> Our faith in Jesus is not in the certainty of our faith. Do you follow that? Our faith, the faith we practice, the, faith, the, the worship we have here today, our faith is not in the certainty of our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. So we surrender and trust. We don't cling to certainty. So there's this common thing with Patrick and Emily and Courtney and Jordan. When I forget the fifth one. There's this thing where, like, if I don't have all the answers, my faith is ruined. The only, the only, the only options are I have to have all my questions answered and have answers to all these questions other people have, or I can't believe anymore. And that's, I want to suggest, isn't faith in Jesus that's faith in our faith. And that's probably the biggest temptation for religious people, to replace faith in a person with faith in our principles. And it's deadly. It's killing us. Not only, not only does it kill us because we always will find questions we can't answer, but also, too, when we, when we have faith in the way we answer questions, we become rigid, defensive, antagonistic. We make enemies where there aren't enemies. We're unable to be agile, to repent, to change our mind. We've got this settled. I have to convince you of this. Rather than say, this is how I think about it. How do you think about it? Or this is, this is what I've been taught. This is how I'm living. What do you say? See, if I have faith in Jesus, I can say that. If I have faith in my thinking, then your contrary thinking threatens the very ground of how I understand my faith. Just to illustrate this. So also, um, we can live not knowing how things actually work because the goal of our faith isn't certainty, it's faithfulness, it's trust, it's surrender. And this makes all the difference. So for instance, uh, let me just illustrate this really quickly because I think it's kind of cool and then we're going to close in prayer and submit our own questions that we have, our own uncertainties to God and just ask Him for faith in the midst of it. So this is the ancient cosmology But we know that um, our solar system looks more, Isaiah, this is, what it, this is what we've been taught, right? Like this. You guys have all seen this picture? Deacon, you seen this picture? In school yet? Yeah. Olivia? Yeah? Not that big. Well, the sun is large. It's a large ball of gas that wants to kill us, but it's keeping us alive for now. <laughs> That's what you're not taught in fourth grade. It has no feelings towards you at all, but we are leeching off of its nuclear reactions, even now. Um, <laughs> science with Matt. Uh, so this is what we've been taught, right? And this, this is kind of how we, how we see ourselves. This is, so to say, say it another way, this is our cosmology, yeah? Pretty much? But friends, let me tell you this. This is the way I've thought of things for years. This isn't 
accurate. This picture isn't accurate. It's actually really super um, confusing. It's actually, it actually creates a lot of problems because that's not the way the, our solar system behaves. Uh, there's, a, there's a GIF I want to play that shows more accurately how our universe behaves, our, our, our solar system behaves. Can you hit play on that? Because our sun is moving at over 10,000 miles an hour around the center of the Milky Way galaxy, and because our Earth is spinning, think about this, over 1,000 miles per hour right now, and orbiting the sun over 1,000 miles per hour, this is actually more closely approximating what our solar system looks like. Now, if you're like me, and I know I am, I had no idea that any of that was happening until several weeks ago. But guess what? Guess what? I've been able to live as a faithful earthling for 42 years. <laughs> and so have you. That's another question, Chanel. <laughs> your teachers do teach you something's wrong, and your mommy can tell you all about that after training. <laughs> but friends, just think about this for a minute. This is like this. This is an art meditation for us, you know? Those idiot ancient Israelites and their Sheol and abyss and dome. Friends, that's, that's who we are too. <laughs> and our scratching and understandings about evolution and how it fits and entropy and all, and all this stuff and th the laws of thermodynamics, like, it's got a, like, a lot of explanatory power. There's some things that old picture of the solar system kind of help us get. The sun is at the center, not us. But there's so many things it misses. God doesn't reveal himself in timeless truths and abstract principles. In 150 years, people will show this gift and be like, can you believe that they were blown away by this? Because it's going to have, like, it's going to be able to explain how dark matter and dark energy create all kinds of realities we can't see with our naked eye. The good news today is that God always accommodates Himself. He reveals Himself in timeless or timely places, embodied persons. This is what the incarnation is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. When God wanted to come, He didn't like drop a science book on people or even a truth book, but He came in the flesh. At the right time, Galatians 4.4, which is part of the reading I had to cut out, at just the right time, Christ came. And so the good news today, friends, is you don't have to choose between science and God, between reality and spirituality, but all truth is God's truth. Even if you don't have it all worked out yet, even if you don't know the answers to the questions, there's nothing that science can discover that's true that will challenge the reality of God and your faith. Is that good news for you? It's good news for me. Let's respond together, okay? Because we don't want to just become smarter. We want to become, we want to worship together. And we worship by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. It's the only reasonable act of service or worship. So this little phrase in your booklet is sort of a, a litany that helps us order our confession and our submission to God together. So the words are, Father, I name and submit my questions about, I mean, maybe it is this science stuff for you, 
but maybe it's something different. I could have, I mean, science was sort of the topic to describe this stuff today, but we could have picked 10,000 different topics that bent, get us bent out of shape. Right? So we just name it. We name it together. And then you say, help me to trust and love you even as I wrestle with these things. I don't, I'm not coming to you for answers. I'm coming to you for love and surrender. That's the faith we want to cultivate here at the table. And then you'll say, Lord, in your mercy, and we'll agree with you by saying, Amen. Okay?